0: This morning we continue on in the book of Acts, looking at Acts 13, verses 42 to 44. One of the most uh, common fears people have, they're told, is that of speaking in public. And perhaps to some degree that explains the popularity of social media. For it allows a person to, quote, speak in public without actually being in public or being seen by the public they are speaking to. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas have come to Antioch of Pisidia. No doubt this is their first appearance in that city. And they go to the synagogue. And it is somewhat apparent that they are at least known by at least some of the leaders of the synagogue. For as the service... comes near to the end, they are invited to speak. And as we noted, Paul here takes the lead and will from this point on. Verses 15 and 16, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The invitation for Paul to speak is not with the full cheers and well-wishers and eagerness of ears of everybody. There's a, a goodly amount of murmuring. So Paul has to raise his hand in order to get their attention, that he is about to speak. So this shows us that this is a very difficult place to be speaking. And Paul's no different from anybody else as far as his humanity. Uh, It's a rough crowd that he's going to be dealing with. So we can imagine the scene as Paul sallies forth with a short recounting of history leading up to the present Clearly portraying Christ with the artistry of words. Finishing with the resurrection. And so when he comes to verse 38 and 39, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified. Righteous, made righteous before God, made right before him from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And so he he gets to what Christ accomplished and the blessing upon those who believe. And he finishes by uh, verses 40 and 41 by quoting Habakkuk where he says, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I will work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Habakkuk had predicted to them the destruction of Judah by the Babylonian army. And even though that army was amassing over in the distance, They still refuse to believe. So he says, you despisers marvel and perish. Well, a great thing has happened before them now. It happened in their day. Now, for some of the Jews, this was too much. So in our passage today, we're looking at, we're going to have, we're coming to you in 3D. That is the alliteration that some people really love to to have out there. So we're going to have alliteration for you today. There are going to be three Ds. There's disdain, there's desire, and there's direction. So we have a group in the synagogue that are not happy with Paul being there. And as he speaks, they continue to increase in their unhappiness. And so we begin with the disdain there in verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue... Now, we, we look at this, we understand that it was not a time of dismissal. It was not that they had the prayer of benediction and off they went. They walked out. Throughout Paul's sermon, they had been growing more and more incensed. And after murmuring and whispering, some of them just got up and they walked out. And by that, they had two things that they wished to show. First, their utter contempt for the Apostle Paul. And second, their desire to disrupt the congregation. And certainly they had hopes that others would get up and go out with them. They went out showing that, that not only did they not believe Paul, but at the same time, that also made clear they would not believe him. But the fact of the matter is, who is it it that they rejected? It wasn't Paul. It was Christ and his truth, his doctrine. They may have felt that they had God, but Christ had made it clear that he who does not have the Son does not have the Father either. And people can run around and say all the things they want to about, oh, I love God, I love God. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Oh, no, but I love God. You can't say that. That's a that's a statement that no one can make because if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Father. It's as simple as that, although it's very difficult for some people to grasp, but he Who does not have the son does not have the father. So this is a sad reception. But here also is a foreshadowing of what was about to happen. A major change, of course, that we will look at, uh, Lord willing, next week. And that change, of course, was for Paul and Barnabas that No longer would there be an attempt to go to the Jews first, but from now on they would be going to the Gentiles. But in the midst of this rejection, there also was a great desire. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the ones who were grumpy and and were angry, the same people who were there... In a different court, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Uh, Paul said in Corinthians, I believe it was, that to some we are the, the aroma of life, and to others we are the aroma of death. To some we smell really good, and to others we just flat stink. They begged. They begged that these words might be preached to them again. The Gentiles were eager to hear, as eager to hear as the Jews were not. The Spirit of God was working in their midst. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Now, righteousness here, no matter how modern interpreters and left want to interpret this, it's not about social justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Well, if you hunger and thirst after something, you're desperate for it. What does it tell you? What is that telling you about yourself? You realize You don't have any. But there is a place where it can be found. And that is the key to understanding what Jesus is saying. These words as Beatitudes are not about sometime in in the future in another kingdom or anything like that. These are words that are pointed to those who are in his kingdom now and how they got there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those who know they have no righteousness in and of themselves and beg as it will. Jesus said another point that the kingdom of God suffers violence, and though the violent take it by force, and people have wondered what does that mean? Well, it means that if you're starving to death and there is a great meal up there, nothing's going to get in your way to get to it. And so those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they'll storm the doors. They're not going to be complacent about it at all. You're not going to have people saying, you know what, I think it's, it's probably a good thing, so I'll go ahead and believe in Jesus. <laughs> If you really know who you are, especially who you are before God, there's no complacency. I must have him. When the Spirit of God reveals our extreme poverty of righteousness, that any righteousness we have is like filthy rags, and the description of that literally is something I can't even bring up in, in mixed company. And that only the righteous will be accepted by God, well, then a hunger builds. For we see we are destitute of any righteousness. And so that's why we sang in, in the psalm today, My soul thirsts for God, it hungers and thirsts. And in Psalm 107 and verse 9, it's talked about the, the longing soul, the longing soul. Has there been that that understanding in your own heart? Has has there been a longing for Christ in your hearts and minds because of your need of his righteousness? A lot of people want to talk, say, you know, you need to talk about our problems. But the biggest thing, the biggest problem you have, any of us have, is we are unacceptable to God. We need a Savior. We need someone who stood in our place, who took on our sins, and then who gives us His righteousness so that we can stand before the God, our our Father, our Creator, and be at peace. That's where the peace begins because if you start at that peace, then guess what? There's a trickle-down effect. And it will start to infect every area of your life. But until you're at peace with God, n- no psychology is going to help you. No counseling is really going to make much difference. <laughs> we can say it over and over again. You must be born again. Why? Because your first birth brought you into sin. And your first birth, You're you're a sinner by birth. Before you even open your mouth, before you even... Open the womb. Before you take your first breath, you have original sin. And then after that, you have actual sin. Only Christ can provide the forgiveness for us. I really have to wonder. Some people don't like hearing some of these things, but... How can anyone say, when they've never had a hunger for Christ, that they are Christians? How can they say that? Millions and millions of dollars are being spent on this campaign of, he gets us. I think there were three or four of those during the Super Bowl. Those are over a million dollars a spot. He gets us. Yeah, he does. But the question is, and they should turn that around, does do we get him? That's many times more important. Do we get who he is? Do we get why he came? Do we get why he died? Do we get the meaning of his resurrection? Now here, here are these Gentiles happy to be hearing these things. They are like the woman in, in Mark chapter 7. Let's turn there for a minute because some people would say, Oh, Jesus was just being so mean. Jesus just didn't have these skills. He's People skills. <laughs> Verse 26, this woman came to Jesus who was a Greek. Uh Uh-oh, she's a Gentile. A Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumb. And he said to her for this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. These Gentiles are coming to Paul and they're begging for him. We'll take the crumbs that they're throwing away. We'll take them. bring them. Let, us, let us have them. They begged that these words might be preached to them every, at the next Sabbath. Happy to have the crumbs the Jews had thrown aside. So as Peter was sent by Cornelius to speak to Gentiles, so Paul is now being sought by the Gentiles. So when we come to verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking to them and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So the congregation had broken up finally. After some of those Jews walked out, there was enough of a disruption that it didn't seem good enough to continue on. So they they broke the, the meeting up. The angry Jews had left. But we find many Many Jews were still there, and they were interested in what Paul had to speak. And Paul had told us in Romans 11 and verse 1 and and verse 5 as well that there was a remnant according to grace. There were some of those Jews who would believe. And then there were the proselytes. These were Gentiles who had joined with the Jews. They had been circumcised, and they were like Gentile converts to Judaism. So you had Jews, you had proselytes, and then you had the Gentiles. But they all had this one thing in common, this great desire, this hunger had come upon them as well. And here, they receive a warm, a warm, very warm welcome from Paul and Barnabas. In contrast to the, that to the hatred that they just seen by the ones who walked out. Now, no doubt, much teaching and encouragement came to them from Paul and Barnabas. But that's the neat thing about the gospel. is when the Spirit of God works in you that you now hear with faith. You want to hear more. You want to hear more. I have mentioned this on previous occasions. but I'm going to stop buying into the common thought that people don't want to go deep. People just want a surface understanding. When it comes to the things of religion, they just want to know they've got a good religion. They don't want to go deep in deep into to know. But the, the thing is I don't understand and maybe someone can Correct me on this later on. I'll be happy to listen. But how can you be a believer and not want to know more about what you believe? How can you love God and not want to know more about God? You know, there's, what is it on the, the learning channel, which I think is an oxymoron, but because there's no learning that goes on that channel. They have the 90-day fiancé. Yeah, in 90 days... And then they had another one, love at first sight. I think you can ask Shirley when we met if it was love at first sight and she said, uh-uh. No? Is it, is love possible at first sight? Attraction is? Oh, great attraction is. And sometimes it's a fatal attraction. But anyone who says, well, you know, I knew the moment she said three words, that was gonna be it. What were the three words? Well, you're not bad. How would you want to have that close of a relationship to someone who you don't know? Here, let's check it. Let's, let's share our checking account our fortunes and finances, our house. Would you do that with someone off the street or someone you just met that you thought was all right? We want to know more. We want to grow deeper. We want to set our roots of faith deep into the soil that we're not going to be moved by every wind of doctrine. And so they were greatly hungered. They wanted to know more. So the third D then is direction. Verse 43 towards the bottom. Paul and Barnabas who's speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They urged them. The word that's translated here, persuaded, can also mean in other places to have confidence, to have trust. Have trust in the grace of God. Continue in it. Now here's an interesting thing. These are people who just heard the gospel. but. Well, In the gospel, of course, as we've been trying to get clear, the gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. But what about me? That's in the law. The gospel, the pure gospel, is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So when we say something like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that's gospel. No, it isn't. That's law. That's something you do. The gospel is what God has done. And we need to continue to reinforce this over and over again because we want to slide our works in there. And if we were dealing with what is so common among much of Christianity, when these people came to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas would have said, well, you know what you need to do? Just keep doing better. Just keep getting better. Just keep moving on up. I don't doubt that there's a lot of disobedience amongst those who call themselves Christians. Some say it's, it's due to laziness. But I will tell you this. I don't think it's laziness, so you can say it is. Complacency is born out of a lack of love. And that lack of love comes to us because we don't know who we are, because we've not been told who we are, and we don't know enough about God. If The more we know about God, the more we want Him. The, the more our hunger for Him grows, the more the di- desire to serve Him out of gratitude continues to grow but if you think you're pretty good and God's just a little bit better then you look at the law the things that we're we're told to do and now that's drudgery well yeah because it's not born out of love it's a complacency if there's disobedience to any kind of degree or lack of desire to serve the Lord it's a complacency that's brought on about ignorance because there's so many running around saying, people just don't want to hear that. And if you don't want to hear about God. Oh, you got a problem, a pretty big problem, because God is it. Our relationship to him through Christ is everything. And so they were persuaded to continue In the grace of God. Remember what grace is. Grace is the unearned, that is the unmerited favor of God toward us. Something we could never earn, something we could never deserve. It's God's favor to us. And so with favor comes strength receiving the favor of God that's why we say we pray for grace well with the favor of God comes also the strength to love him and do as he has has commanded so that his commandments become light and, and, and things we enjoy because these are the right things to do the proper things to do and we do them out of a motive of love and gratification so what does it mean then in these last moments here this morning, what does it mean to continue in the grace of God? Well, it means first, to remember that it is the grace of God that brought you to salvation. Secondly, that it is the motivation to justification. We are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it would tell us It is your hope for perseverance, your hope of perseverance. You dare not trust your own strength. Your only hope is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You know, it was clear those who walked out would not rejoice in the conversion of those who had come to Christ that day. the next the words to continue in the grace of god are words that are true for every believer in every age no matter where they are and no matter where they are in their growth with in coming to the lord it's the same advice you give to the new convert that you give to someone who's been following the lord for 85 years, continue in the grace of God. What's the alternative? I'll continue in my works. Good luck with that. I'll continue in my work. Oh, well, where's that going to get me? Nowhere. Nowhere. So we continue in grace, It's not saying that we don't have works. There's always someone who says, hey, what about works? Works accompany grace because of what grace has done to our hearts, but they do not save, nor give us any kind of standing before God. What does to continue in the grace of God means? Well, we sung it just a little while ago. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Let's stand together for prayer.